Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSBN-TV in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. The Tonga volcanic eruption that took place in mid-January 2022 was an impressive one indeed. Seen from outer space, it looked like the mushroom cloud of an atom bomb. Tonga is an island nation roughly 7,000 miles away from South Florida, but that blast destroyed an island, generated a Pacific Ocean tsunami, and sent a sonic boom that raced twice around the globe. Why did it happen? And can it take place again? To answer these and other questions, we have Professor Falk Amalong from the Department of Marine Geosciences, Rosenstiel School of Marine and Atmospheric Science. He's also an expert on active volcanism and plate tectonics. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, let's uh, begin right away. Uh, Professor, how and why did Tonga erupt? Well, it's a, no, a well-known area um, of volcanic activity. It's a subduction zone, so that is not a surprise at all. Um, the surprise was how powerful this eruption was. Now, can, can this type of eruption happen again in that part of the world? Absolutely. These type of eruptions happen um, every couple of years. Um, I think in 2018, there was a similar eruption at Krakatau in Indonesia. Krakatau, the eruption, well, which made an even um, stronger sound, stronger noise um, in end of the 1800s, 1883, I believe. Why, why was this eruption so strong? What uh, helped, probably helped to make the eruption strong was um, it's a, it was a shallow submarine eruption. If you get a deep submarine eruption, there is... Um, so much uh, weight from the water over the volcano, so you don't get much explosive activity. But if it is shallow, then you do get, because um, the water gets heated and it get, gets flashed into steam. The steam, the vapor gets shot into the air. Now, a simple question. We, we know that a lot of times these kind of eruptions uh, uh, cause tsunamis. W why does that happen? In this particular case, it was mostly a meteor tsunami that means um, caused by the change in pressure in the air mm. um, normally you get them um, when you get an island volcano um, an eruption of an island volcano there was landslide prior to the eruption but to my knowledge not right at the time of the eruption eruptions of island volcanoes frequently are associated with landslides and the landslides the landslide causes the uh, tsunami but no, yeah, landslide tsunamis are normally not so big. So this must have been something else. And um, there's lots of indications that it was a meteor tsunami. Professor Amalong, uh, is this region part of the uh, Ring of Fire? Yes, absolutely. Is there any way that we can monitor this activity around the, the Pacific? It's monitored seismically. There was, to my, my knowledge, no seismographs right on this island. So island volcanoes, especially a volcano like this, where the island just emerged a couple of years ago, and um, it was actually a very small island, and there was no people living, luckily. Um, they are sometimes not well, they are in most cases not well observed, just because it is difficult to, well, people wouldn't go to put um, seismographs. So there was 
there were seismographs somewhere else in Tonga at the distance of um, 40, 50 kilometers or something like that. And this um, recorded not only the event, also probably um, the events before, increased seismicity prior to this, uh, before this eruption happened. Can these eruptions be forecast? Is there any way to predict this? We know that there's a risk, but we can't forecast when it happens. What can be done is that um, you can um, measure for um, sub-aerial volcanoes like this one. You can measure um, using satellite techniques. You can measure ground displacements mm -hmm. um, prior to an eruption like this, prior to the landslide, which was a day prior to the eruption. Um, there were some ground movements. Um, if we have enough temporal density of the measurements, then we can um, detect accelerations. So this, in principle, could be used for um, warnings. And um, in this particular case, same as for the Krakatau eruption in 2018, it was done in retrospect. We were lucky that there was data. So we, de we did see some, people did see some ground motion that uh, could have been taken as a warning sign that maybe something is going to happen. But whether something is going to happen, indeed, we have no idea. So basically, you can detect the symptoms. You just can't detect or, or, or forecast when it's going to happen. Exactly. If we were able to get ground deformation measurements at um, every day mm -hmm. prior to um, for these volcanoes every day, then we should be able to see accelerations but it doesn't need to accelerate, but it's most likely to accelerate. So there's first a slow landslide and then eventually it um, goes catastro catastrophically. But in this case, it was a little bit different because yeah, frequently this eruption happen at the time of the landslide or the la there's the landslide. Seconds, minutes later, the eruption starts. In this case, the landslide apparently was a couple of days before. We don't know much about the landslides at the moment. Now let's switch over to the Atlantic Basin. Uh, anything like that could happen uh, in this part of the world? Are there any big uh, uh, volcanoes that we are monitoring at the time? Well, there's certainly something what could happen, but they are not necessarily monitored. One potential volcano that could do something is, um, it's called Kikem Jenny near Grenada, or it's part of Grenada, it's, submar it's submarine, it had um, some crisis a couple of years ago. And um, yeah, there was concern that there's going to be a bigger eruption, but nothing happened. Is it monitored now? There are seismographs on Grenada. I don't think there's any submarine seismographs right at the volcano. But um, if the next um, crisis happens, um, it's certainly possible that um, some submarine seismographs are going to be put whether this is going to happen, I have no idea. I have no idea. It depends on there's a volcano observatory which is responsible in Trinidad for the West Indies. If they have the money for uh, submarine monitoring, I don't know. What about South Florida? I know we deal with hurricanes. Do we also have to worry about any type of eruption that can impact us here? No, not really. We should worry a little bit about um, submarine landslides. Mm. The student here in our department, she actually worked on, on it. So there's certainly a possibility um, mm -hmm. that they generate tsunami. On the other hand, they are unlikely going to be um, extremely big. So the 
uh, Bahamas and um, the bay here, certainly it uh, protects. It's possible that eventually, well, you hear it in the news once in a while that people are talking about the tsunami from some big ocean islands like the Canary Islands or Cape, Cape Verde Islands. It's possible. I think there we will be protected here by uh, the surrounding shallow water, but these things are very unlikely to happen. It happens once every 100,000 years or so, so I wouldn't um, lose any sleep over them. How strong was the uh, Tonga eruption? I know I've heard people suggest that it had the, the, uh, the strength of uh, X amount of TNT. Do we have any idea of how strong it was? Yes, we do. Um, I don't think there is complete information. It was on the volcanic explosivity index scale. I, I believe it was a four. It didn't make it to a five. So it was strong, but it was not too strong, actually. It was very short, the eruption. Now, with the new technology that we have, obviously, with satellites, uh, and of course, the video was great showing this eruption happening. Were you, the scientific community, were, did you learn anything new from watching that video? This is the first um, strong meteor tsunami about which we have data. It's not my, it's not my field, but um, the tsunami people, they are um, modeling it and they are trying to find out how much of the contribution of this tsunami is due to atmospheric pressure changes. And it turns out that, um, and then of course there was this loud sound, which was um, the very strong sound. So um, it turns out that um, 1883 eruption of Krakatoa had um, a similar signal. So there were some tight gauge measurements at the time, and um, it sort of seems to be um, comparable with um, the tight gauge recordings from this, er from this eruption, only at that time it was much larger. Well, what we know for sure is that one day we're going to see another eruption somewhere. Yes, for, su for sure. <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, Professor Amalong, for joining us today and helped us a lot to understand a little better what happened out there in Tonga. Thank you so much. Okay, my, my pleasure. When the tropics heat up, you can stay cool. Because the chief works right here. Seven's chief meteorologist, Phil Farrow. He's been doing this for nearly 30 years. As soon as we get information, we bring it to you instantly. Wilma, Katrina, Irma. He guided us safely through them all. That guy never sleeps, but that's so you can sleep easier. Hey there, welcome back to Whether or Not. I'm meteorologist Frank Cameron. Boy, it's been blazing hot in South Florida. So can you imagine life without any air conditioning available to us? How would we get along? Well, for that and more, we have an expert from Carrier Global, the pioneers of air conditioning. A big welcome to Ashley Berry, Executive Director of Communications. And Ashley, I'd say the timing is right to talk to you as we bake in the summer heat, but also because of a milestone, is that right? That's right. So on July 17th, 1902, Willis Carrier changed the world with his invention of modern air conditioning. So if you fast forward to today in 2022, that's 120 years of fundamentally changing the way we live, work and play around the world. Back to 1902, he was actually trying to accomplish something at a printing factory, if I'm not mistaken. 
That's exactly right. So Willis Carrier, who was just 25 years old at the time, which I think is incredible, um, was trying to solve a production problem at a printing press in Brooklyn, New York. So at the time, the humidity at the plant was, it was just wreaking havoc with the paper and the printing press, and it was causing the paper to expand and contract. And so then when they were trying to apply color to the pages, it would misalign. And it resulted in, you know, either poor quality, scrap paper, and lost production days. So Willis um, rose to the challenge and went to work and invented a system that main, maintained relative humidity at 55 degrees and had the equivalent cooling effect of melting 108,000 pounds of ice per day. 108,000 pounds of ice. So today and every warm day, I personally take a moment to thank Willis for his invention. So I read that the air conditioner itself was not exactly an overnight sensation that some people even thought that being able to control the weather was deemed wrong and sinful and that a machine shouldn't be able to do something like that. When do you think the philosophy actually changed? Oh, gosh, that's a good question. You know, I think um, it really did change the world in a lot of ways and enabled a lot of things that I think today we couldn't even imagine. So I'm just going to give you a few examples. Um, air conditioning in the very early 1900s was used to establish the first incubator room for infants, and it would later be adopted by hospitals around the world for patient care. So that's, you know, a very beneficial example. It helped the film industry advance filmmaking and provided a way for people to escape the heat in the summer months. You know, as movie theaters adopted modern AC, they sold more tickets and it helped set the stage for the summer blockbuster that all of us look forward to. And in fact, you know, in the early 1900s, theaters would advertise very prominently that they had air conditioning to pull more, more customers in. It also, and this is a pretty cool one, it helps protect priceless works of art from deterioration. You know, could you imagine if, future generations couldn't appreciate the Sistine Chapel. There is a carrier air conditioning solution there in Italy that helps preserve Michelangelo's masterpiece for future generations. And then, you know, looking today and much more modern times, air conditioning plays a critical role in enabling the internet. And who can imagine life without the internet? You know, data, cent data centers are full of servers and other high-tech equipment that generate heat. And so to operate reliably and efficiently, each piece of equipment must be kept cool. And AC provides the cooling necessary to regulate the temperatures, enabling computers and servers to support the networks that provide the internet. So there are so many reasons and applications of why air conditioning really enables the world that we're used to today. But if you go back to those early ones, um, you know, with healthcare and other, I think the benefits are pretty clear. I do too. I'm so thankful for it here in South Florida. And we'll get into that in just a moment also. But do you think that Willis at that time realized what he was onto? What kind of uh, future would uh, come about with this invention? Yeah, I think very, very quickly, he realized this had much broader applications. You know, obviously it was created for this one specific client and this specific need, but, you know, the history is really incredible how it quickly grew to additional, you know, manufacturing applications and then into homes and other. Uh, fast forward to the present. And sure. if we could talk about uh, geographics just a bit, I'm guessing Floridians are maybe some of the biggest consumer base for air conditioner units in the U.S. Is that uh, why Carrier is based here in South Florida? 
Yeah, so you are correct. We are based here in South Florida. Our world headquarters uh, is called the Carrier Center for Intelligent Buildings is in Palm Beach County. And, you know, we designed it to be a first of its kind technology innovation collaboration center. It's really like a living lab that showcases our products. Um, and one of the reasons we chose it was it's in the optimal climate for year round product demonstration of our advanced HVAC solutions. So Florida was perfect for Carrier. Um, they just, you know, hot temperatures and air conditioning go hand in hand. Sure. Um, and as far as, you know, South Florida, I, I looked into some census data and here's what I can tell you. In 1955, one in 22 Americans had some form of air conditioning, but in the South, it was closer to one in 10. And in just five years that grew to one in five homes in the South. And by 1970, which was nicknamed the air conditioning census, the U.S. Census noted that the air conditioner had become almost as common a device in the warmer parts of the country as the car and TV. And it explained why increasing number of Americans could live year round in Florida and other warmer climates like Southern Texas and Southern California. So Willis Carriers Invention definitely enabled comfortable living in warmer climates, including right here in Florida. I personally could not survive here without my air conditioning. I agree. But why do you think it took maybe as many decades as it really did for that to really pick up? If Mr. Carrier formed the company back in 1915, so we still have to wait quite some time before maybe more widespread adoption. Was it because maybe the size of these original units or could it have been the cost? You know, it for homes, it started, um, the air conditioning application started with window or room air conditioners. And then it moved into ducted or what, you know, we probably all know as central air conditioning systems. So it really wasn't until like, we, you know, the 1970s that modern air conditioning made it into most American homes. So we definitely take it for granted because today, I mean, it, it's pretty standard. Um, but, you know, before that, people were definitely warm in the summer. That's for sure. So actually, a recent study actually had 87 uh, percent of the U.S. households with some form of an air conditioner or central air. But I also saw that that compared to only 11% in Brazil and 2% in India. Does that surprise you? You know, it, it, it doesn't. It, I think it would be surprising to the average person in the sense that those are warm climates. But it really does have different um, penetration across the world. You know, even in Europe, um, there are older buildings that are more established. So there's a lot of retrofitting or else use of a lot of room air conditioning. So it really does vary. And Americans definitely do love their air conditioning. And that's a good point about Europe these days, hearing about sweltering conditions and uh, record heat waves in places like Scotland and in Spain as well. So for our podcast listeners uh, that are listening from Europe, it, it's no doubt that uh, air conditioners may not be as common as the United States, but are so very important uh, as well. So are all air conditioner units these days basically the same or are we just kind of choosing a brand? That's a good question. Um, and I, Brent, I am not an engineer, but what I can tell you is there's a lot of options today based on what your goals are, you know, as a consumer, are you looking based on cost? Are you looking based on energy efficiency? Are you looking based on the application? And it can range from geothermal solutions to heat pumps to um, ducted systems or even ductless systems. So there's a wide variety of applications. Um, you know, not every application will work for every need, but every need will have an application that will work for it. 
All right, a big thank you to Ashley Berry of Carrier Global as we uh, celebrate the coolest invention ever, the air conditioner. The best app from the best weather team is right here. Seven's Hurricane Tracker app. Get the latest forecast models. My Seven weather blog. And of course, Seven's cone on your phone. It's yours free from the Storm Station, Seven News. And now, a fail fact. Where can you find the largest volcano? There are many that qualify here on Earth, but the biggest is found on Mars. Not only is it the biggest, but it is also the largest mountain in the solar system. It's called Olympus Mons. Coming up in our next issue, you find yourself in hot water caught by a rip current. What do you do? Thankfully, the brave men and women of our South Florida water rescue teams are there to help. We'll take a deep dive. Plus, hurricane forecasting has come a long way. Can it get better? If so, how? Hear what an expert has to say. That's next week on Weather or Not, which drops Tuesday, July 26. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion, please send us an email at weatheronot at wsvn.com. Thank you for listening. I'm Chief Meteorologist Phil Farrell. This podcast is produced by the Seven Weather Team. Original music by Chris Crane, with technical support by Stephen Sejas. Thank you for listening to Weather or Not.